Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Super, super, super. <laughs> How about you? Uh, I was up late. I was up late. Oh, oh what were you doing? Were you feeding your, feeding your Komodo dragon? <laughs> uh, what was it? Oh, I was watching something. I went down a, uh, well, not quite John Roderick-esque, but John Roderick-adjacent rabbit hole, yeah. which is watching... Um, like some kind of like it's a series on BBC and it's like, you know, the year, the history of Top of the Pops for this year, the history of Top oh. of the Pops for that year. Sure, sure, sure. So it's sure. not just a highlight reel. It's it's narrated by the wonderful Sue Perkins. Um, and uh, and they it's funny because like there, it's, it's a lot like, oh, gosh, our show sure was dorky, wasn't it? But there was also these things and I don't know, really what, padded out. But that's my jam. Stuff what like were that. some of the years that you that you went down? Um, well, because it's, sh- it's a good question. It, it popped up, you know, like things do in your recos. And so I think the first one I watched was probably 19, started to watch 1981. And then I was like, oh, but there's more of these. Yeah. So what did I watch? Oh God, I watched a lot. I like, like most of the seventies and a little bit of the eighties. Oh wow. You went for it. Well, that's why I'm tired. Wow. But I saw Captain Sensible on several different occasions. What? <laughs> with, uh, with, uh, The Damned. And, uh, yeah, it was, but you know, it's just, it's, it's so weird. I guess America is, uh, as much as ever at war with itself, but it, man, England is really always warring with itself. Yes. Culturally, like, it's just, it's, it, they seem very embarrassed about everything they've ever done. Considering what a small country it is, they sure do produce an outsized amount of Western, like, angst mm-hmm. well you know it's almost like how you feel like how can i put this um <laughs> there's a great line in ted lasso where he says uh i think he says to the other coach like how many countries are in this country <laughs> um uh, did you it's, did you start that it's five right five yeah right you counting whales, whales? Yeah. <laughs> nate the great <laughs> um but uh you know i i think about how i felt i don't know how i felt when i was maybe like 17 where like I, I I hated I hated who I was as a child. I hated who I was as a teenager. Like I, you know what I mean. I hated who, who I was as a little kid. Not hate, but like I was like ugh that guy. And then there was like pubescent me, gross. I disliked current me, and I had no idea how I could possibly ever like future me, which yeah. felt very English. My uh, daughter yesterday the the uh, the the Skype or not the Skype the whatever the the, the music box mm-hmm. the machine that plays mm-hmm. the music when you say its name or the other one not the one that plays plays the music when you say its name it's the one on the where you put up your phone and it and it bleeps over <laughs> that thing started the ones that are shaped like soup cans okay. that thing started hang on, hang on one second <coughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Mac Weldon. You can learn more about Mac Weldon right now by visiting macweldon.com slash R-O-T-L. You know, here's what it comes down to. Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Mac Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. And, you know, uh, simple shopping. Wow, their site is so easy to use, and I do use it a lot because I am a fan, as you may know. Uh, Mac Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you'll ever wear. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor, and they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep it, and they, uh, they'll still refund you, no questions asked. 
Not only does um, Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well, too. Great for working out, going to work, or, you know, in my uh, experience, you know, re- recording uh, podcasts. And, you know, right now the folks at Mack Weldon have uh, created their own totally free loyalty program called Weldon Blue. Level 1 gets you free shipping for life. And once you reach level two by spending $200, Mac Weldon will start giving you 20% off every order for the next year. Not too bad. Like I say, I'm a big fan. I'm wearing Mac Weldon right now. Uh, my go-to top layer is their uh, Tech Cashmere uh, long sleeve. Um, I love their 18-hour jersey uh, crew neck undershirt. Their slippers are, are terrific. I don't know if they're even in stock because they're so dang popular, but I love those to death. Um I love their clothes. Uh, I wear them every day, and uh, I can confidently endorse Mac Weldon with my official okie dokie. So please, right now, you go to macweldon.com slash ROTL, uh, just like it sounds, ROTL, and you're going to get 20% off your first order using the promo code ROTL, just like it sounds. Our thanks to Mac Weldon for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. Okay, we got a lot of dings today, and I'm already losing my breath. Okay, so so it's not the one you put it on the Skype, but it's not the Skype. It's not the one with the name in the, in the can. Yeah, it's the other one. Okay. It started to play Tiny Dancer. Oh. And my, my kid was walking across the room, and she halfway across the room, as the song came on, she, she, kind, of, she kind of paused, gave this big shoulder shrug, deep sigh, and, and then continued on her way. And I said, what was that about? And she said, oh, this song, The Memories. <laughs> That's so good. And I was like, the memories. And she was like, oh, yeah, I just saw this song just brings up so many memories. And then she like hustled on down the hall and on, on, to her, on the rest of her life. And I was like, the memories. Yeah. Like it's the first time I'd ever heard her say anything like that, that kind of just like, oh, wow, the nostalgia. Wow, she's nine years old. What I, nostalgia? I had extreme premature nostalgia as a kid. Um, but I'm curious, now that sounds to me, if I were in the room, I would read that as she's unintentionally, uh, unintentionally saying something, uh, either that somebody else in the family would say, or like a specific, like a specific line or mood from a certain person. Did you hear any family members in that remark? Well, you you know, I thought, I thought about that. The the thing about, um, the thing about the premature nostalgia that you and I felt growing up was... And I'm I'm assuming this is true of you because it wasn't mm-hmm. me. I felt nostalgia for times that had come long before I was born. Oh yeah, like it's I, a real pictures of Lily type situation. Yeah, I just felt I just I just longed for these times, you know, like deep, deep, uh, deeply in my heart, longed for times I had no personal experience of, <laughs> um, you know, uh, and. But I think in her case, because I thought about it for a second, like, is that is she just echoing her mom? But her mom doesn't talk like that. And I don't really talk like that. I think that she was having um she was having an authentic experience of like Tiny Dancer is the type of song her mom would have played every morning on their way to school. Yeah. When she was in kindergarten and first grade or whatnot. And so I think she was having a, her first like wave of, wow, this song really reminds me of, uh, of times. Yes, and I was. I like, agree. Wow. I mean, we're, ha- we're having a laugh, but like, I, I totally agree with you. It's not. Yeah. It's not. The, you don't have to be a certain age to be eligible for emotions. Yeah, 
Yeah, and just hearing it hearing it come out of her mouth and realizing you know how it is with having a kid and I don't I know you and I don't want to don't want to take listeners away from our other parenting podcast, but mm-hmm. you know, watching a kid come online and realizing like, "Oh, wow, they're having independent life now." And "Oh, shit, they're having like in, independent complicated life." And the role that nostalgia has played in my own life is so strong and seeing it in her. And I think, you know, very different from like, I miss my friends or I wish that, you know, I remember when we used to come here, but like, like that, that involuntary sigh almost of like, Oh, Oh, this song, Mm -hmm. it, it was, (laughs) I didn't know. I mean, then I was like, not about tiny dancer. But about oh, know. I see you're you're experiencing it on a couple different levels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's funny when you said that though. I um, this is again, this is how music in particular and memory work. I'm sorry, I can't speak today. I'm I stayed up way too late last night. I know um, you were watching this TV show about all the TV decades show. in England. Yes, well, I, yeah. we'll get back to that. I'll put it okay. there in that. Um, but um, but for example, like when you, I have um, gosh, I have several specific recollections of. Of Tiny Dancer just from the last like year and a half. Oh like, wow! Yeah, yeah. I mean, like what? Like I remember, uh, I got a. We were we were at a, a retreat that my uh, wife had put on for her work, and we were up in uh, like Point Reyes. And I gotten up really early to go get us coffee in the lobby of this place we were staying, and they hadn't started making coffee yet. So I hung out and like was just you know listening. And to my headphones, and uh, an episode of Strong Songs about Tiny Dancer came on, and I remember Strong sitting. Strong Songs. Strong Songs. It's a really good show. It's 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 a uh, song song exploder ish, um, but it's real good. Uh, more about like the the writing of the song, the arrangement of the song, that kind of thing. But anyway, and it was really good. It was an episode about um, uh, what was it? It was Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and Tiny Dancer, and how they take two very different um, approaches to songwriting. And anyway, why do I remember that? I don't know. I do. I also remember that's the weekend we started playing Pokemon Go a lot. And like, oh, but yeah. you can pin things. And then another one is, I remember, um, I remember uh, being in a lift on the way to an event for our podcast network. Uh, I'm on last, I want to say August. And I was listening to the Florence and the Machine version of Tiny Dancer, which is also very good. My, my point is like... And the phrase, what is the phrase I used? Uh, eligible for emotions. It's, uh-huh. you know, it was, it's, well, what could be more boomer than calling things boomer? But apart from that, a thing that is very boomer is this ha, ha, ha idea we have of, oh, you know, you, uh, you think life's hard now, just you wait, or blah, blah, blah. And like we come up with all of these ways that we write people off because they have not achieved uh, the level of existence that we think is, uh, is necessary. To, to be able to uh, express a certain kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to say, I, I do that. I want to stop doing that because it's gross because being a person is complicated. And just because you're an older person rather than a younger person, well, guess what? There's going to be a corner. You turn, oldie, when things get much more simple and not in a good way. Like, <laughs> in, enjoy the complexity of those feelings because that means you're still growing. When you stop having that that those feelings, like you're now you're moving the wrong way. Um, I'm rambling. I stayed up till I watched that show. Do you know what I mean though? Like just because a little kid says something, I mean you don't have to be like some some annoying like Poindexter kid. Like kids kids have feelings. Kids, and then like you're like you're saying here, then you can you can appreciate things or 
experience things on different levels. And it's extremely complicated. It's a real Toy Story kind of feeling. Yeah, it's it's I, it's weird. I was thinking about this the other day, and again, in, in in talking to her and trying to explain to her, she wanted to know what naive meant. And I was like, well, you know, we're talking about a, we're talking about a kind of a, uh, like a a spectrum between naive, and you might say, you, you could describe it one of two ways. That it was that the poles were naive and cynical, and wise was in the middle, or you could say that it was a progression from naive to cynical to wise. That wise was that you know that inevitably you go from being naive to you know overcorrecting mm-hmm. and becoming cynical, and then ultimately you are wise. And does naive imply either it seems like depending on how you, how one uses it, you could you could be implying a certain amount of ignorance or a certain amount of almost like self-deception in the way you say to somebody, oh, don't be naive. You know what I was saying, trying to describe it to her, mm-hmm. I just said in in life, when you start out, depending on how you're taught and who your parents are and just sort of I think less maybe. I'm somebody that believes that nature plays a large role in a lot of things, but th- this I feel like maybe less so. But it, it's it's easy to believe that when you're when you're starting out that people are who they represent themselves to be. If someone seems friendly, they're friendly. If someone seems honest, they're honest. And I think you, there are different levels of intuition so that you can tell a creep sometimes, even if they seem friendly. But I, I was saying to her, in general, you know, uh, you and I have talked about this a lot. Very few people think they're the villain of their own story. Mm-hmm. Most people believe they're doing right. They just, um, they just, if they see an advantage, they believe that taking that advantage is right. Not that they're screwing you, not that they're, not that they're trying to hurt you, but just that they're trying to do what they think is right. And in that case, it's being selfish or greedy or whatever. And she was like, Oh, like the trade Federation. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Like the trade Federation. Thank you for finding a star, a star Wars connection. Um, the trade Federation is it how the, those are the, the no, no, I, are, I believe me. I know it's the racist characters. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Believe me. Uh, she's saying that the trade Federation, one of the confusing things about them is that they are in, they appear to be in service of evil, but, in fact, they're just trying to get good cr- trade deals, and they get played. At first, in the early part of the movie, they feel like Padme is naive. Mm-hmm. But then later on, after they get played oh, by Palpatine, like they're, they're getting played. They're getting played. Yeah, right? I get so, you. I get you. Also, why do they exist? Why do we need a why, trade federation? Yeah, we don't. And, and, and are they a race? Anyway, the, uh, but then, so New, I was New, saying to Newt her, Gunray, I think his name is. Newt Gunray. I was saying, um, you know, if you think that if you if you think that people um, what naive is to believe that everybody is um, as they as they say they are. And most people are going to present themselves to you as honest and and uh, people will tell you that they are excited to work with you, that they have your interests at heart. And then you'll find that that, that not all of them follow through. 
And after you've experienced that a lot of times, then you develop what is cynicism, which is assuming that no one is telling the truth, assuming mm-hmm. that no one is honest, yes. that everyone has a false face. And the thing about cynicism is that to the people who are cynical, it feels wise because they're not dummies. They have right. learned. They've seen. They've seen. That, well, when we call uh, when we call a child naive, I think we mean it more in the sense of the Game of Thrones sense of you know my sweet summer child. Like you've only ever experienced summer. You've never experienced winter. That's why we say right. summer child to Bran. And right. so like <laughs> you know that's that you're unspoiled. You've never had to know winter. And I think that that's what we mean with naive. I think increasingly as people get older, when they say naive, it definitely implies, it can imply some sort of like, oh, you know, d- don't act like you don't know better. But I think it really does imply almost like, almost a conspiracy or like, you know, oh, come on, you know how life really works. Don't be naive. Oh, but I, but I, I do feel like it's a, I, I, I never hear naive used to imply that a person is being intentionally a rube mm-hmm. is that what you mean that they're well, that they're being like like okay okay but how about this instead how about and it's just shade that with a little bit of light gray like optimism like i'm here's yeah. how i hope this will turn out right and so you could say like oh gosh if things really keep going well in pennsylvania blah 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 and people go oh, like don't don't be naive look at what happened in 2016 oh and i feel like that's just uh, that's it is that use of naive is precisely the description of a cynic, you know, like Mm -hmm. uh, that is how a cynic talks is by saying, don't be naive. Haven't you seen through the gauze? Like I have, Oscar Wilde says a cynic knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. (laughs) Right. And that's, I guess I do too. I guess I say that too. (laughs) But, but then (laughs) I didn't say it first. But I don't think wisdom is a balance point between those two. I don't think cynical is one way and, and and naive is the other and wisdom is in the middle. I think you have to go through both. And then I'm just, you know, I'm saying this to her, but like wisdom is understanding that you have to bring all your faculties to bear. And if you go into situations where you assume the worst, then you are going to, that's the life you're going to lead, you know, you're going to create that reality. Well, and and knowing contextually what tool to use uh, or in a given application, this is really boring, but like, you know, in in the continuing tiny life improvement project, uh, something, something I did recently is I've been sort of decanting the various oils that we use into bespoke containers. So we don't have to use the big clunky Costco oh, that's, container. That's so, lovely. Where did you find these other little smaller containers, Merlin? <laughs> I don't know. Amazon. Oh, where did you find them? Come on, tell oh, me. Oh, come just, on. I'll oh, be a deer. No, no, no. <laughs> just, I, I just, I have to know. I, is it something that I could order? I got it at Ross. It, Ross. $3. Oh, <laughs> are they are they matching? Are they matching? Everything's matching. If you have no are, taste, are they different colors? Yes, they're different colors. They were meant oh. to be for condiments, and I'm repurposing oh. them. Oh, you're repurposing them. Oh, That's precious. I, you know, I don't know why what I go con- so far to make a no, dumb point. I'm what sorry. What condiments were in there in the first? What were they? None. Were they meant to none. Be no, mustard? they arrived empty. Like all of been, us. With, oh. Oof. Anyway, I, go, I, I go into the bedroom and I'm holding. <laughs> this is so nice <laughs> to be married to me. I go in and, and I'm holding two containers. And one of them has a tiny little Sharpie C on it. And the other one has a little Sharpie O on it. And they clearly have some kind of a... You know, and you put those there. I put those there, and I held them up to my lady friend, and I go, "Huh, huh?" I go, "What? What, what do these mean?" Yeah, and what do you think? Says, oh, this is a test for her. Well, I want to see if I did the intuitive thing, and uh, like that Spike Lee movie, and right. and she said, uh, "C is for canola, 
and O is for olive. I said, you got it in one. Canola and olive. Wow. So, you know, so she said, you know, she said to me, she said, I like olive oil. And I said, well, well I like olive oil too, but I, I use them for different things. Like canola oil can tolerate a much higher temperature. It's not as oh, tasty, she, but olive she oil. we don't need canola? No, 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 no. I mean, I'm not trying to drag her here, but I mean, this is an example of like, it's, it, you know, so what I'm trying to get at to, to, to your point is that to be a, to be a wise person, uh, you have to have a big toolbox and you, you mustn't always pick the flathead screwdriver because that's the nicest one you've got, let alone the hammer. Like you right. need a big, you need a big ass toolbox and you need to know when something you need is not in that toolbox or you need big to know ass. when to throw the toolbox away. Like it takes like uh, situational awareness and experience and metaphors on the tires, all those Wait, kinds there, of are things. There, are there times to throw the toolbox away? Times to throw the toolbox away. You, you know what? If you don't know, you will. That's one of my favorite Harry Chapin songs. <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Keeps. You can learn more about Keeps right now by visiting keeps.com slash supertrain. You know, with Keeps, you can get treated from home. It used to be you had to go to your doctor's office for your hair loss prescription, but now thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right now, right to your home. They make it easy, and they deliver your medication every three months, so you can say goodbye to pharmacy checkout lines and awkward doctor visits. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. You may have tried these before, but probably never for this price. Prevention is key because Keeps treatment can take up to four to six months or more to see results, so it's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save so find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors, and nearly 100,000 men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatments start at just $10 a month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month for free. So if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, you go to keeps.com supertrain to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash supertrain. Our thanks to Keeps for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. Now, wait a minute. So you've decanted into these special uh, containers. Sounds but dirty that means, when you say it like that. But that means there is there is another layer of storage now where you have the big, uh, the mothership containers mm -hmm. that are now behind uh, darkened glass. Do you throw away your wallet when you get a suitcase? You can't roller skate in a buffalo bird. You can't go swimming in a watermelon patch. So, so is there now? Here's the, I guess this is the this is the, the the question that everybody listening wants to know. Sure, is there a caddy? There's not a caddy. Um, so you have all these decan decanters, and you don't have a, a decanter caddy. Um, sometimes I have an intuitive sense of what I can get away with. Yeah. Um, and I think having uh, what were probably meant to be ketchup and mustard containers is, is, is one bridge. And then having a caddy for those, maybe, I don't know, maybe that has pigs on it or something. That would make me happy, but mm -hmm. that might be, as they say, a bridge too far. Are, so are they clustered in a corner of the counter? No, no. Or... We, have a kitchen, we have a kitchen island. And the, oh, the big problem bad. was we've got a Costco. We've got a Costco canola oil. The, the Costco canola oil is clustered in a corner of the kitchen counter? <laughs> it's caddy cornered from the canola uh -huh. container. <laughs> no, it's not a condiment container. It's a canola container. 
And it's I catty see. corner from the Costco canola. On the counter. On, on the, the counter. kitchen counter. Yes. In a corner of the kitchen counter. <laughs> what? <laughs> from, so, from one of the nail. <laughs> how do you keep them oh from getting oh. under your elbow and slipping off and breaking? Uh, like, well, one problem is this is How do you corral them? What, they, what a, what a this, kitchen this, counter, what the kitty corner oh boy. of a kitchen counter needs is a corral. <laughs> It's on, it's on the bottom part. See, no, okay. Oh. I, I, would you like me to explain the whole kitchen island? The whole kitchen island is a caddy, you're saying. Oh, man. Yeah, you are making me very, feel very philosophical today. You know? Um, anyway, you got to have a toolbox. You got to throw it away. Roger Miller was a great singer. You know? Mm-hmm. Trailers for Sale or Rent. I grew up on that sure. guy. Sure. Um, he was also the rooster in the Robin Hood cartoon. Is that right? I believe so. He was the the balladeer. It said on the uh, LP that I had. You know, I knew that. Huh. When I said, "When I said, is that right?" It's not that I didn't. Oh, you were you were playing with me in the space. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I was. You know, I was yes ending. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, I took you off. One of you the know, things you know, that makes uh, our shows magic. Uh, hmm. <laughs> that's the thing is, I could explain the trick to you. It doesn't make it any less magic. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I called my granddad uh, uh, Aberdabber because. Um, hmm. <laughs> He was my grand uncle, first of all, and I couldn't, right? pronounce, yeah, I couldn't pronounce Abracadabra. Abracadabra. Oh, oh no! You had an uncle magician? Is that like a sister wife? No, no. Well, I mean, if listen, hmm. are, are you doing a good job as an uncle if you're not also a magician? Oh, see, now we're getting even more philosophical. Forget about yeah. wisdom. What about he the was, magic of uncles? Uncle, but magic. he was my great uncle. That's the thing. My well, great I'm sure, he was uncle. fine. And he uh, he would do magic tricks, and so when he would when I would see him. When we would walk in the door, when he would walk in the door, anytime I would, sh- I would see him, I would shout, Abracadabra! Aww. And I wanted, him to do, I wanted him to do Abracadabra for me. Would he but... pull, a, pull a coin out of your... Oh, all that your... stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. he wasn't a great magician. Find a no, he, but, he, but he was probably, I mean, the same way, like, they, you don't become a black belt when you join the army, but, like, you're going to learn enough to, like, do a karate chop. There's probably basic uncle and great uncle training, you know what I'm saying? It he learned to me, it. Sure yeah, it's, you're it's, an uncle before you're a great uncle. Right. Lieutenant Colonel before you're He was a World War I magician, one of those. You know, he learned it in the trenches. A lot of, lot of magic tricks with matchsticks and, you know, like trained fleas, that kind of thing. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, people have said this before, but it's true. Um, I mean, you don't, for one thing, you don't realize how much... Mm, how much we just sort of like glide past a lot of uh, words and their meaning and, and the big questions in life. And it's like when you talk to a kid, and I hate that phrase, explain to a kid. When you have a talk with a kid about something and they have, they, in that rare case, they have a question or whatever. But somebody asks you a question like, like you know, what, is, uh, what does naive mean? Yeah. And like, I feel like, well, first of all, you're going to learn how much you really know about stuff. Because now you're going to have to adjust whatever your screwed up idea of the world is. You're going to have to adjust that to be meaningful to to this person. Now, a great way, just so for future uh, dads out there, a great way to uh, avoid this temporarily to stall for time to think is to say, "Well, what do you think it means?" <laughs> now you also yeah. you also sound wise. Yeah, what that, is wisdom? That, that does sound wise. What is good? You know, what to, is to hear, hear the hear the lamentations of their women. Mm-hmm. You know, drive mm-hmm. your enemy also. before you. Um, yeah, I, I told her all about that. I was like, "Listen, here's how the th- the thing about victory. <laughs> Keep is, your Tulsa sweetie. Dune speech. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about victory is it's never as sweet as when as when your enemy is at your feet begging for mercy." And she was like, "Check. <laughs> Are you writing no. this down? You should be writing this down." <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, boy, yeah, you figure out what you know, but also like I, there are certain kinds of things where um, it's difficult to talk about something 
without unintentionally revealing um, your point of view or bias. And, you know, I try so hard to, um, I don't try to eliminate bias, but I try, I try so hard to contextualize. And, you know, I do that with adults. I do that in our conversations. Like, it's why I never give a simple answer to a simple question. Every time somebody says, what's the, you know, what do you mean? I go, well, and start like set the way back machine to way back. And it's because I'm trying to give all the context Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm not afraid to, to put my own, uh, opinion and my own bias in there, but (laughs) I want it, I want that bias revealed. Like here's right. how I came to this. Here's People why act I like feel this way. There can be something without bias. Now that talk about naive. Well, talk about cynical. Talk about right? cynical. Talk about, talk about cynical. Talk about, about the passion. Being naive. Yeah, that's right. But but I feel like that's I feel like that's the key. Mm-hmm. Like, expose your bias. Say like I am biased. Here's mm-hmm. why I think that you should do this, and here's why I feel why I have this bias mm-hmm. because I've tested this. Uh, a few different ways in the course of my life and I've seen other people, you know, uh, test their theories these ways and this is what I've come to. This is the, I'm trying to do the best I can and this is the best explanation for it I've come, I've come up with. And I feel like that's the antidote to so much of this just shouting at each other Um, because you can, because it's like show your work, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you, you get oh, to be a yes. certain age. If you're in, if you're in a position to be, if you feel like you're old enough to start lecturing other people about anything, show your work. Uh, think think uh, about how how would you even like? I'm trying to think how I would describe. It's one thing to say to somebody, okay, how would you describe the word, uh, the meaning of the word naive, uh, to a to a, a preteen, uh, and you you, you say go, you got two minutes, right? Then what if you said uh, after that, okay, now can you describe the word naive to that same person without revealing any kind of bias or point of view? So inevitably, to me, with a word like naive, how could you not use an analogy or an example? Uh, Not an analogy, an example. And how could you give an example of that? I don't know. It seems like it would be difficult if you, without fundamentally altering what you think the word means, how you would describe it or use it in a sentence without having to show you know uh what it means in a way that reflects your bias do you know what i mean well yeah because when you're dealing with when you're kind of dealing with anybody and you see this a lot this is one of the complaints against modern journalism but it's also one of the complaints against people that that try and adopt that lofty tone is that they try to do things like this uh without specificity so they're trying to describe naive with zero specificity, all the most general language, you know, the most sort of, um, oh, and, and, and so the description becomes very opaque and what, what the, what the practitioner, I guess, believes they're doing is, is giving a non-biased answer, but what they're doing is giving a, and they think they're being scientific, that they're reducing these, uh, you know, these concepts to, like manageable knowledge chunks or something, but really naive is nothing if not described with specificity. And for a nine year old, you can tell a story that will root the word naive in something she really understands. Mm -hmm. Like, do you remember 
when your friend Katie said that you could come to her birthday party and you were excited and then it turned out that you didn't go because Katie was just using you to get to Brenda. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, Ooh. oh, I mean, you know, and she's just like, wow, right in the moment again. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, right now, she, Katie thought that, you know, in that situation, you were naive for ever thinking you were coming to the party. But in fact, you know, blah, blah. in fact, she was being, she was being cynically manipulative. You, you can get, you can, you can root words in somebody and ideas in them by just relating them to something very specific. But is that, but, and you're absolutely revealing your bias. Like I'm sure Katie's mom would not have described that situation that way. I'm sure Katie's mom in using that, that term, even if, even if she was trying to just use the word naive and describe it by referencing that same incident between those two girls, she would not have characterized it that way. Uh, and so that's where, you know, my daughter's education and Katie's education, um, are different and they're, and that's part of growing up, right? You're, you're exposed to these situations. Your takeaway is, is your takeaway is rooted in your learning of vocabulary, your Mm -hmm. learning of civics. It's, it's all very, it's all very specific and personal at Mm -hmm. first. It's, and it's, you know, and again, that's part of the people that think that they can denuder, I'm sorry, denature or neuter language. A little, little portmanteau uh, yeah. there. A little Roderick portmanteau. <laughs> Freudian, Freudian slip. <laughs> um, <laughs> they think they can emasculate a man for the words that he uses. <coughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by ExpressVPN. You can learn more about ExpressVPN right now by visiting expressvpn.com slash supertrain. Hey, listen, you know, uh, I don't want to make it weird, but, you know, when you go to the bathroom... You always close the door behind you, right? You're not a monster. You don't want random passersby looking in on you. So why would you let people look in on you when you go online? Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like going to the bathroom and not closing the door. Did you know that your internet service provider, you know, folks like Comcast or Verizon, know every single website that you visit? Did you know that? What's worse, they can sell this information to ad companies and tech giants who will Use your data to target you. ExpressVPN puts a stop to this. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that your online activity can't be seen by anyone. You can use ExpressVPN on all your devices. It works on everything, phones, laptops, even routers. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can still be protected, even if they don't have ExpressVPN. And the best part is using ExpressVPN is as easy as closing the bathroom door. You just fire up the app, click one button, and you're protected. ExpressVPN is the world's number one rated VPN by CNET, Wired, The Verge, and countless others. So, uh, you know, if you believe your online activity should be your business, why don't you secure yourself by using expressvpn.com slash supertrain. You go there today and use our exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash supertrain. You can get an extra three months for free expressvpn.com slash supertrain. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. Take the specificity out of things, but it doesn't 
you know, you, it's not that you're skating across the top of the world, uh, untouched. It's that you're, that you've lost, the words have started, started to lose their meaning when you don't. Or at least lose their specificity. Like it's, 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 it's cool that we have words that, uh, that mean specific things and this and not that. I'm, um, this is making me think about, uh, an idea that's just been kind of floating around in my head lately that, uh, relates to me and podcasts and other things. And that's that I, um, how do I describe this? Um, I, I I'm a sucker for context. I'm, I'm, I'm in so oh, many I ways. I thought you were going to say you were a sucker for content and I was just going to virtual high five, like <laughs> emoji thumbs up. You know what I'm though? That's actually, that's, you know what? That's a pretty perfect example of the, of the corollary, which is, you know, like when I, when I argue with a friend of the show, not argue, but John Syracuse and I both have our beefs with like how ratings and reviews work, um, and like what they're useful for. And I, I will sometimes say something to him like, you know, I think star ratings, a, a single five-star, uh, you know, rating for, for a thing is not very useful. Rate and review. Rate and review. This well, podcast. Right now, everybody. When's go the last time you, you tucked in and you, you sat down and you're ready for some TV and you said, boy, I really would love to watch a three-star movie tonight. Mm. Nobody's ever done that. Like, you, well, three stars of out of, of you know, three stars for what? But like, you know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> for three three stars for whom? For like, what situation? Context, context, context. The point I'm trying to make, if any, is that uh, I love I like I like line readings. I love I context. <laughs> I, I I the context is so much more important to me than than, than the content. Like, the th- well, here's the thing. Somebody gives you the thing. And I'm like, well, no, what I really want to understand is the context for this. Context over content. Context Stop over content. Stop the presses. I, I'm realizing this, and I'm not saying this is necessarily good or, or wise. It might be naive or cynical. But, but, um, but like, like a day like today, where, where uh, depending on uh, how you do, you may be uh, celebrating uh, w- one of various October holidays. And one of them is to, to, to celebrate the fella. <laughs> Who came over here and uh, you know sort of tamed the untamed continent? Mm-hmm. And it's like you know what what we know about the the purported facts about Christopher Columbus. Um, well, first of all, a lot of them I'm given to believe are not facts, but they're not useful without the without a context for understanding lots of different things that go deeper than this one thing. And so I you know I'm interested in, in the content that's out there, but I'm more interested in the context. Like what else was happening at this time? You know, you judge the bitter by the sweet. Like, to know that this thing was, such and such thing, was happening around the time of both the flu, uh, flu epidemic and World War I, and, you know, maybe somebody's in, in a fight for this election, et cetera. There's all kinds of stuff that when you put it in context, it makes it richer. And I say that because prob- probably, I don't know if it's exactly my favorite, but one of my favorite podcasts, uh, especially through the summer and up till now, is this show, Mike Check Podcast, which is, a, they talk about movies. And it's... um. It's very, you know, sort of discursive. Like they might, the show might go for an hour. It's very funny. Their chemistry is great, these two guys. But the point is that like, this is an episode, like last week's episode, well, it was about Back to the Future. But they talked about, about Back to the Future for like an hour before they talked about Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. If you, if you follow what I'm saying here. Mm -hmm. Like, so, I mean... As somebody who, uh, I, I would say that's probably one of my top 10 favorite movies. Um, but like, do I really need to sit down and have somebody give me the plot of Back to the Future? 
No, not really. Well, then what are you tuning in for? Goes to hear some critical analysis. Oh, no. no. I want in this case, I want to listen <clears throat> to the film critic from the Atlantic and the guy who plays Arthur on the Tick. I want to hear them just nerd out about things related to this. The context. That's why, that's why you love uh, my award-winning podcast, Friendly Fire. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. Well, same. Same idea. Like, what, what is I, the content that people feel like? So, so why am I being defensive about this? Because I feel like some people are like, well, just come on, you know, get to the, get to the Mac headlines or whatever. And it's yeah. like, well, are you, are you that starved for computer information at this point? In my case, <laughs> I've always said with podcasts, you come for the content and stay for the voices. And no matter how much I like the content, if I don't like the voices, I'm going to bounce. It's the voices and the, the context, you know, for, I don't know what I'm saying. I guess I'm just saying, like, I do feel like there are people who are really super gay bones for content or the specificity of the lesson that you instill in your child, you know, versus a more liberal arts approach of like, well, you know, how do we know what we know? How do we learn more of what we need to learn? And how do we know when to throw away our toolbox? I think that, I think that we are, <clears throat> we have to be now on the cusp of um, we, we, for years we've been saying that uh, what's in the show is in the show in our case mm -hmm. but in the I think uh, uh, in our pond in our in our uh, in our bay of fundy over here <laughs> the estuary we, of ears <laughs> we um, you know we're making content and by that i mean everything that i've ever done music and and every show i've ever done but also just like in general the conversation that we're having that's not even that's not even um uh, coming from you and me but that is that we're part of right our conversation talking about the discourse and i'm talking about you i'm talking about our our corner of it and oh, okay. the people that listen to our show and the conversations that they're having with each other and it there are tendrils that go out into the whole world, right? It, it, I've seen it many times. You and I will mention something on the show and I'll get an email within a day from Israel or from Turkey or from, you know, Korea. And someone will, I mean, there, we have listeners to the show in Saudi Arabia who are not expatriates, but who are Saudis who have discovered Roderick on the line and they've emailed me and I'm like, I don't, you know, I go, I go check their, check out their stuff and it's because it can't, I feel like it can't be real. Um, and, but it is, you know, there, I mean, or it's a, it's a completely amazing social media account of a, of a, of a, of like some young Saudi guys who are just living their lives mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that somebody drummed up just to, just to mess with me. <laughs> but like there are tendrils in our conversation, in our corner of the world that go out to worlds we can't possibly imagine. But really, the pool, the pond that we're in is a... Pond, it's also pond a pond to be good for you. It's a pond. <laughs> it's also a, it, it's somewhat a discrete space. And that's, a, that's what's confu it's confusing to us because we do, we do feel connected to the larger world. And you and I grew up in a world where there was a, where there was a, a, a megalithic culture or a, a monoculture. And so we were kind of trained to think that that was the goal to get your voice into the, into the big stadium, you know, to get up there and be, um, to, to make it right, to make it over the line and, and be heard or to be, 
synced up with with um, with a school of thought. Uh, there, there was, uh, uh, for a lot of our coming up, at least I'll speak for myself, for a lot of my coming up, I look back in retrospect, and I think it's a, it's a series of um, hoping for some kind of um, approval for, uh, for someone from someone um, yeah. to get entree to the next step of the only option I had. <laughs> so like right. there's, there's so basically life is a railroad and you're going to ride it whether you like it or not. Right. And it's up to life you to is decide. A highway and you're going to ride it all night long. Yeah, my way, my way or the highway. <laughs> you're going to ride it. But no, but you know what I mean. Like it, there's, the, yeah. there's, there's train tracks here, and yeah, you're um, either on or off. Yeah, yeah, and like if you do not want to get stalled at this station very early in your journey, I, I don't mean to torture this to death, but what, what am I implying here? Well, for for one thing, I I did not feel like there were multiple options available to me ever for anything, whether that was for a job for an education. Um, I mean, I felt very limited in, in the number of options that I had. And maybe that was a failure of my imagination, but I think it's, in a lot of cases, it was what was encouraged by <clears throat> a, a hopefully helpful and generous version of family, a very risk-averse family who'd had a lot of loss, and a school system that was trying to prepare me to be a good worker. Um, but then, so, like, not only were there not multiple avenues, but I, I do feel like those well, now we say gatekeepers, but like I didn't even have I didn't even have the temerity to to dream very big. But if I did dream big, I would have probably been thinking about how am I going to get this to an editor or an agent or a, you know what I mean or somebody right. who is in a position to give me again uh, approval that becomes an entree to the next thing. And uh, I, I wish I'd been more aware of that. Well, I wish I'd been not- more aware of like that that I uh, without ever examining it. I had no way. I didn't see what you don't know what you don't know. And the context lost there was, well, there are many different kinds of experiences. There are not just color pictures in big, thick books that there is actually a world out there that those pictures are representing. I just didn't feel like that was ever any more than the closest I would get would be clipping that out of the encyclopedia. (laughs) Because the adults that taught us didn't, didn't have any sense. I mean, no, you know, no, (sighs) nobody really knew. That was why my dad was like, you got to go to law school, right? Because that was his idea of what it took to get outside. If you could, if you went to law school, maybe you could step outside the hermetically sealed culture bu- bubble and I don't know what, co- come at it, you know, the, you, you could breathe water for long enough to get to some other pod. Um, I, had, I had a guidance counselor. You know, I, I always, um, I, I feel like it's such a, such a lame thing to say about people, oh, you know, uh, they got this job because they couldn't get a different job, you know, blah, blah, those who do, do, those who don't teach and that kind of stuff. And the only thing is I would leaven that with the idea that I have a lot of friends that had a fallback strategy. Like, well, at least I can always be a carpenter, or at least I can always teach, or I could always this, or I could always that. Right. Um, without making any implicit segue here, I will just say that I've had a lot of guidance counselors that really were not putting their back in it. <laughs> and the the back and, and I was believe me I was not a person you needed to spend a lot of resources on <clears throat> but just for what it's worth when I was I, I think this is even when I was a junior my assigned guidance counselor the main thing that he pitched to me over and over was that the air force was actually a pretty good deal you know what there's work at the post office you get you get uh, you know three hots and a cot free uh-huh. clothes haircuts you know you get for to me- look, look at planes 
for me, I think now, I, it, it feels right now like <clears throat> we, are, you and I are part of a culture. We're in a culture. We are culture makers even. Um, and we're at a turning point in, in time, in history, where the ship has kind of sailed that we're, at least in our lifetimes, I think, ever going to get all the Americans back into one box where they, um, you know, Peter Sagal said uh, in, a, in a Twitter feed earlier today that the thing that made uh, America kind of exceptional was not that we had a constitution, because a lot of countries have constitutions. It was that... Um, <clears throat> that we followed lose, it? <laughs> uh, no, that, well, what, what we did was that in America, the tradition was that the losers uh, in any election, the losers in any political dispute, um, agreed to abide by the, by the law. So if, if you, mm -hmm. if your side lost, if your president lost, or if your, if your candidate lost, if your law failed or, a, or a law you opposed passed, we all still agreed to abide by the law, winning and winners or losers. And in losing that, <clears throat> like all the countries of the world that have constitutions but aren't uh, that but aren't democracies or aren't you know whatever America is or was, um, <clears throat> their problem is that people just don't abide by the constitution because because what ends up happening is power and and power becomes the factor and that and that means that the people in power when they lose they don't consent to lose but we're so we're now living in a time when it doesn't seem like we're all ever going to make it back to whole at least for a while and and it's um <clears throat> it's troubling to me because a big part of that is we've splintered into a, a universe of a, a thousand little pools, a thousand little ponds of people that all get to have whatever beliefs they, they in their pond agree are, are real and they can consume only media that supports those ideas. And they just, you know, they can sit and morph and in, as John Syracuse would say, evolve, evolve mm -hmm. within their, within their little ponds and live in a, live in a state of, of, you know, altered reality and here we are in ours, and on on one hand, just for our own sanity and for for peace, we've increasingly sort of resigned ourselves to disengage from the idea that that we can help everybody or that everybody's going to get it. Um, and and I think you and I over the last ten years have. We, we already started out and I, you were one of the first people to teach me this. Like, don't try to please everybody on the internet. Don't, you know, don't try to be everybody's friend. You don't want it. You don't want to make a thing that, that everybody likes. You know, I think, I think you were one of the first people to say like having a lot of followers on Twitter is a blessing and a curse. And the curse is that you have a bunch of people on there that don't, that aren't your people that are following you because you were on a list and mm. now they're, they're shitting on everything you say, or you're just dealing with static all the time. So we've, we've just, we've, we've in the last 10 years, we've like shrunk our worlds around ourselves a little bit, like muting people that suck, not reading other media. And I'm not, I'm not saying that 
um, that I don't think that we have shrunk into a bubble where we're also just feeding off of like a tailored media teat that, uh, that only tells us half truths. But the, the challenge, the place I find myself in is how do I protect myself and live a life in the world that is where I'm not constantly at war, where I'm not constantly, um, like nauseous with trying to interact with or convince people that, that have, you know, that believe that, that Hillary Clinton is at the head of a pedophile ring, but at the same time still believe in truth and still believe in (sighs) like, like, you know, like that I'm, that I'm part of a culture that's trying to preserve truth and justice, but not, but at the same time have a culture that is like personally gratifying and you know, that, that, that it isn't just constantly, uh, bashing our shields with our swords. I, I said something, um, I think it was last week in the context of you talking about, uh, you know, texting with, uh, with that friend of yours. And I was saying, I feel like there's, there often is a distinction between, or should be a distinction between like, I don't like the thing that you did versus I don't like the way that you do that. And I was saying that I think it can sometimes be, it's one thing to talk about me not liking what you did. You know, <laughs> what do the Christians, uh, the evangelicals say, you know, hate the sin, not the sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, but another version of that being that like, even if you, even if everything you do is great and above board, I could still really not like the way that you do it. So, I mean, one way to think about these, these times where people can't seem to agree on what the truth is, is to like a, try and identify what your tolerance is for a variety of different things. Because I think that, you know, I hear, I hear what you're saying, and I, I feel like we're, we're all expected to be a little bit uh, defensive about stuff like <clears throat> not participating enough in the discourse or keeping all the doors open to all the people all the time. And I remember a time when I used to get yelled at a lot because I had more followers than people that I followed. And I remember even, even saying, thinking, remember especially. that. <laughs> but do you remember that was considered that was considered to be like it's very important that you every time somebody follow you, you follow them back. I'm like, yeah. do you just not care about your life at all? Either either you take you take this seriously enough to have that dumb rule, but you take your life not seriously enough to invite all of that into your life. The only the point I'm trying to make here is that like maybe we can't all agree on truth, but like I don't think it's selfish or naive to have your own idea about the, the rules by which you will play and what you will tolerate and allow in, in your own life. Um, which might sound really fancy. It might sound really obvious, but I think we can still go out and try to find diverse opinions. We can still, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about civility even. I'm talking about like on a highway that where the speed limit is 75, you can get away with going 90 and you can get away with going 55, but please don't go 200 and please don't go five. Like, that's not how, how this is going to work. And if, you, if you're not willing to be somewhere in the normal, the range of normal parameters for using this particular uh, road, maybe this is not the place for you. And I should not be ashamed for saying <laughs> to somebody, hey, I think 200 is a little fast for this, and I think five is a lot too slow. So... I, I, I don't know if I'm making any sense at all here, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's uh, I don't think it's fancy to to decide that you have standards 
uh, in life. Whether that's the standards for the content, quote unquote content you create, like who do you want to please? You know, who do you, I, I mean, and then, then just to say like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try to be everything to everybody. I'm not going to be trying to try to be all the way available to everybody. Last week when I was watching the debate, um, the vice presidential debate, <clears throat> there's a, there's a, I'm sorry, I'm really drifting here. John, John um, Dickerson, friend of the show, John Dickerson said something really great uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, sort of, uh, I think he just made up this quote that's so good, but so, he wishes he had a, an, a, a wise elder relative to attribute this to. With so much good food on the table, why would you take the bait? So mm. last week, <clears throat> I just, I was saying over, over and over to my family, it's so important that Harris not take the bait. Because Biden took the bait a little bit, and he ended up wrestling a pig. And it's like, if I, and there's a reason I'm not in the corner office. I'm going to try to tie this together. There's a reason mm-hmm. I'm not in the corner office. But, but if I deserve that corner office, it's because I would say uh, to, uh, to Senator Harris, I want you to, I'm going to hold up these three photographs. You can pick any three photos you want. I want you to imagine these three people as who you are talking to, right? And, and you can pick whatever group that is. I mean, I think a real good one would be like, yeah, a suburban professional woman, maybe who, who has two kids and the whole family's at home right now. Whoever it is, it doesn't matter to me. It should matter to you. Imagine three people and through that camera, you're going to look into that person's eyes and you're going to speak to them directly. And you're not, you're not going to, you're not going to be defending lies from the vice president. You, you don't get wound up in all of this talk. You, you assert a very affirmative vision of how the future can be different and uh, with your vote will be different. And you speak to those three people. Because you know what you don't want to do is end up talking to no one else except the vice president as you, as you get really wound up. So that goes to, that goes to the, uh, the audience issue. That goes to the, the, the personal issue. It's like, how do you develop an integrity and personal focus that allows you to do the things that you think are important with a certain kind of fearlessness that enables you to make connections that matter rather than pretending that connections that don't matter do? Because that's not helping anybody, especially you. I remember when we first started doing this program and my sense of talking to you on the phone and arguing about the Beatles and Hitler and that you were putting those conversations on the internet and that our early listeners were a lot of tech people in San Francisco. Yeah. And I remember telling stories in those early days with, uh, with this picture in mind of uh, people in San Francisco uh, whose shirt collars were too small, who were listening on very expensive headphones that oh, Mark uh, Armand probably with the small pants, tight pants, small tight tight small pants, pants. Too, small pants too, riding a bike. The, the shirts were too small. Marco Marco had told them what headphones to buy, uh-huh. and um, and they were listening to the show, and they were like, you know, they were kind of living vicariously. And as the years have gone by. And I've met, you know, I've met our listeners and communicated with them and gradually realized like that I couldn't, um, that they, that although there were still a lot of people in San Francisco, that that wasn't who we were talking to anymore. And then I think, I think I've certainly had multiple kind of identity crises, crises over the years. Like who are our listeners and basically like, who am I making things for who am i talking to who's talking who am i listening to 
um, that's been a that's been a real bumpy and often unsettling kind of trip. Every time somebody does one of those, I'm not listening to your show anymore because of X. Mm-hmm. You know, it always breaks my heart. Even if I go kind of study that person and go, oh, why were you ever listening to the show? Like, um, but I always wanted the, the largest possible tent. And, and I wanted that, I wanted that large tent because I always, because I want everyone to get along. You know, I want the largest tent because I want people to come together into whatever tent and see they have more in common than they have different, than they have differentness. Yeah. It's one of the, you know, there's a, there's a Facebook page, Gary's van, which is devoted to kind of discussing because there's not a Roderick on the line fan universe on, uh, you know, uh, what, uh, Reddit or whatnot. I don't think there's much of one, but I don't want to know, but it's all, it's happened. It's happened within the Gary's van kind of room. Gary's vaniverse. Gary's vaniverse. But you know, like people trying to enjoy the show and there's a, there's a suggestion that listening to this show that you would be, uh, that you would want to take the these conversations to a third location with somebody, not a hippie, yeah, but you know to go sit. Oh, over I mean, coffee I, with okay. So we uh, when you put it that way, absolutely. I'm sitting here like crowing about about blank check with anybody who talked to me about. It. I'm like that about a lot of things, like like in like Ted, Ted Lasso. Uh, Jason and I are just like over the moon, but going back and forth about Ted Lasso. Sudeikis? If I'm a fan of something, you and I, Jason Sudeikis are. Going back yes. and forth about Ted Lasso. Very good friend, Jason Sudeikis, <laughs> the drummer for the presidents of the USA, Jason Sudeikis. Oh, um, Jason Sudeikis, yeah. Not Jason. Yeah, yeah, Jason, Jason. Um, so based no. on your recommendation... Um, I wasn't... I didn't the, mean to interrupt you. I, don't, 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 don't go away. I don't, no, I don't want to take no, you I off. I don't want to... I didn't want to interrupt you, but, but based on your recommendation of Ted Lasso, I went on, and this is just... I'm bringing it back around to yeah. Gary's van. Gary's because Vaniverse. someone on Gary's van, in the Gary's vaniverse, was saying... Oh, I agree uh, with Merlin about Ted Lasso. And I was like, well, you know, Merlin recommends a lot of content. Uh, and and now they're, now on Gary's van, they're talking about this show. And the way they talked about it was, this does not sound like something <laughs> that, uh, that you the would show, like. The show sounds like it should not exist, let alone be successful, <laughs> let alone be for John Roderick. But I, and I'm so curious then I wrote, to hear. I wrote you again and was like, what the hell was that show you were talking about? And then you wrote me and said, Ted Lasso. And then I put it on with my sister and we watched the first episode (laughs) and Susan was climbing the walls in joy. She was like, how did this get made? This is the best thing I've ever seen. And then she insisted that we watch three episodes back to back. And then she came over last night and insisted that we watch three more episodes back to back. So I am Deep in the Ted Lasso verse, and uh, it's very, very fun. I'm enjoying it very much. It's really, not, you really know, I don't un- unusual. Um, so you're up into where it's getting a little. little each episode gets a little bit deeper. There's like more in way, drama. In a way you don't anticipate. Ted is experiencing a lot of personal Ye- turmoil. Okay, so you're there. Okay, good. And uh, you know, it's very. Uh, it's I, I don't. I don't tend to jump on on uh, episodic television, but uh, my sister. And, uh, and, uh, daughter's mother both do. And so now I'm, I'm open to it. You know, it's, oh boy, it's the coronavirus. Am I right? 
It's really well, got yeah, to watch I mean, it I think on that's live one, TV. Like, like uh, yeah, I mean, ha- having this show come along when it did and be based on a TV commercial, like it's it's all pretty weird. <laughs> um, right? It's based yeah. on a TV commercial. It's based on a TV commercial. <laughs> Apple acquired the rights to the IP in the TV commercial oh. and made a TV show out of it. <laughs> I'd like to see that TV commercial. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, at the beginning when they show him doing the dance and everything. Yeah. The, yeah. Oh shoot! What were you talking about? Oh, I was talking about. Um, oh, 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 oh! Gary's uh, Vaniverse. Gary's Vaniverse, a place where people get together after the show to have a cup of coffee and talk about the ideas. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm. So- oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I'm trying to get better about muting. Because people who claim to like the show think it's too noisy. If I reduce the noise any more, there won't be any sound. Uh, or did you did you mute it because you were spitting in your chew cup? No, because I'm going because oh. it's morning oh, and I'm still clearing my clearing my throat. You know, I make so much noise on this program, and I I I'm I'm astonished that people aren't like, my God, what is, what, is he made out See, of? See, this phlegm? is the Trump problem. Like you've lowered the bar, yeah, and now you clear it. As you snort and snort, whereas I'm yeah. I'm this simp over here still playing by the rules. <laughs> there are still people who are upset about the sound quality of this show. Am I right? Uh, there are still there, there are people, thousands. People have of a people. lot of opinions about a lot of things. No, I, I, under, I understand that, but the, the show is what the show is. You know, I mean, I don't know. The biggest thing I, I've been making little improvements. I'm going to try and I'm I'm considering rebuilding all of our little sound bits. Because I think I could do better. I just can't find the old Skype bloop sound. But we like, I went back and listened to the original Sh- Sugar from Sand, and the sound quality is so much better than what we use here. So anyway, that's some inside baseball, as they say. Oh, I see. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I, 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 that's that's the thing with a bias, you know. Stone. <sighs> oh, you, the- you know the guy who sings that uh, song in Ted Lasso. I'm not your stepping stone. Yes. No. 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 Which guy? Um, the Mumford sings that. Oh, there's a lot of Mumfordy music in it. Well, that that's an actual um, uh, one of the two people is uh, I believe he's called Marcus Mumford. Oh, Marcus Mumford. Marcus you Mumford. Know, I drove those guys around Seattle one time. No. Dance car. <laughs> I. Uh, I. I. I want to. I want to be a part of, of, the larger world. I don't want to live in a village. I never did. I I want to. I, and increasingly, I don't want to live in a city either, which is a weird thing. I never thought I would say, but cities now, feel too small. Seattle feels small again. Seattle felt really small in 1992, mm-hmm. and then it felt like it was. It, Seattle always felt like it was. It thought it was bigger than it was, but Seattle got to be kind of a big city for a while in an exciting way, and now it just feels, it feels provincial, and, um, and and puny relative to, I think what it could have been, but I don't want to live in a village, and I don't want to live in a city-sized village. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just out of curiosity. I, I'm not sure I follow. You say even Seattle feels small. What What is something that in your mind would feel, apart from a city or a city like Seattle, what would feel large to you right now? Do you think? Well, I think I think the when I first heard of the concept of the internet in 1990, 
I had the feeling like, that we all did when we first heard about it, which was, oh, this is it. This is the League of Nations. This is a one world government. This is the universe in a in the pen cap. And um, and this is this can only be good. It, there, what could the possible downside be of of connecting everyone and having mm-hmm. access to all information? And I still believe in it, and I believe that we have um, we've done a terrible, terrible, terrible job of of navigating these early years, partly because late stage capitalism. And partly because we handed the keys over to the guys. It's it's just like I used to say about web pages, like the the, the <laughs> content size for tuna cans around with ads. Yeah, well, or or just that <laughs> the pro, the initial problem was that the the best websites were not for the best products or the best writers. The best websites were for the product of the guy that knew how to do his own website. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was my problem with those early websites for bands. It was like great bands had shitty websites. The ba- the bands that had great websites were the bands that had someone in the band that could design a website. That was what was so great about you designing the Long Winters website because if you hadn't, there wouldn't have been one. And it's almost like the way in Deadwood, um, the way Saul and um, and the, the the two protagonists are going to go to Deadwood to set up a shop to sell, you know, uh, provisions and building supplies. And it's probably not ironic that they also had the ability to build the store. So they built the store and then sold (laughs) things that you would use to build stores out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then that's exactly the, that's exactly the problem with the internet is that we seeded the content over to the people that, that knew how to build the architecture Hmm. and we seeded the, Oh, I, I think you're, right on the money with Facebook. Yeah. Well, and, and with a lot, I mean, you know, all of our, all of our internet ethics and, and habits were determined not by ethicists or by writers or philosophers or even thinkers. They were designed by computer math guys to computer math enthusiasts. Yeah. To be, to be efficient for them. And, and often just because they, because of a failure of imagination, I mean, that's what that documentary is like, we didn't know how to make money. So we went this way and this is, and that has created like a Hitler verse. I talk about that Netflix show. Yeah. But I still believe in that larger world. And I believe that this social media era is going to go into the garbage can and it's going to take a lot of stuff with it and good riddance to bad rubbish. But Seattle now feels like in attempting to make a place what we've what what the culture of the city has done is set its sights too low and made a place that is too small culturally um because as you were saying everybody feels defensive now and and you know in it's it's the constant crisis of liberalism and we'll see it when Biden gets elected there's going to be a ton of people on the left that want us, that want the left to be as vindictive and small-minded as the right has been and to go in and do all the same shitty things in reverse and, and, and partly to reverse some of the shitty things that have been done, but then to really stick it to them, you know, like really drive in the knife and twist it because now we're in power and we're going to do the same things that you did. And that 
is the classic mistake of thinking that the left and right are equivalents and just two sides of a coin when they're not like the right is a way and the left is a better way. And the better way requires that you not allow the, allow the other side to set the tone and the rules. You know, it's, you don't, it's not just that you paint everything that was black, white, you have to go, you have to bring care and compassion back, which are not just the opposites of hate. They're something, they're completely other thing and they require a different way. Mm-hmm. And S- Seattle in attempting to be a place of light has increasingly chosen to, in its desire to be anti-dark, it's just the, it's just the methodology of the things that we hate in service of the things that we want. But it's the methodology that's the problem. You don't use the methodology of hate to get the things that are good. You have a different methodology. And so... Yeah, you're... you're um, w- w- without saying I, I, I don't 100% agree, I think... Well, I think I agree with what you're saying, but, but I do very much agree on the qualitative differences in well first of all like you're not going to get if you're more than 14 years old you're not going to get very far in life by defining yourself by what you're not and who you don't want to be you have to have something as i say affirmative not not positive necessarily but you have to assert something about about who you are and the answer to you know tearing down values is to not tear down different values it's to build up values and that's what makes it so difficult to try and see as this as you say black and white kind of thing because once you allow it to become a black and white kind of thing, you've lost. Now you've allowed the other side to sort of tr- turn chess into checkers and checkers into just piece of plastic, <laughs> like to keep dumbing the game down. And instead of saying like, well, you know, it's not a game. It's, it's, it is life. It's, our, it's, it's the future that we want for the people that we love. But it's, I do think it's, I very much agree that, well, first of all, it, it's just, it's not a great look to just go out and, and have you know, have your own sort of frontier justice because you didn't like how you were treated. I, I don't know. I mean, politics is a little bit inscrutable to me, but no, but it isn't, it isn't to say like, you know, and people want to do this. They, they, you know, like they say the opposite of love is not hate, but in uh, difference. It's, it's that kind of a rethink that's required to say like, you know, let's stop just reacting to everything and let's have an approach that reflects the values that we have you know what I mean? It, there's more to it than just like, oh, you know, now I get to be hall monitor for four years. Well, and the, and the, I think the the problem of, of the problem of San Francisco that you have described to me in the in the 20 years we've been friends, and that I've seen unfold in the 40 years that I've been going to San Francisco, mm-hmm. is that, you know, in a way, San Francisco is a paradise of. Uh, it, for many, many years, it was a place where progressive law could be put into action. But the thing is that liberals are more critical of each other than conservatives are of each other. Um, and so it's very hard. It's very hard for the left, I think, in addressing problems of the city to know what to do when you put policies, policies in action and they create unanticipated negative results. Like you say, we're going to we're going to we're going to this is our new housing program or this is our new social services program. And then it doesn't work completely. It creates <laughs> unintended side effects that no one expected. You know, no one expected uh, 50 years ago that 
the mission would have become what it became. And no one expected that the mission would, in the last 15 years, go from what it was to what it is now. You would never, and, I, you, I think it would have been pretty unlikely if you talked to folks in what was then called Eureka Valley in the 1960s to say that, would, would you imagine in five to eight years, this is going to go from being the place, the, the local neighborhood where nurses and, you know, firefighters live to being the place where um, more affluent progressives and a lot of gay men move within the next like five to eight years. Would you imagine that? And it's like, no, I couldn't possibly right. imagine that. But then back, but they probably also used to go to that McDonald's, you know, <laughs> near Golden Gate Park <laughs> and not feel very <laughs> endangered. <laughs> but I don't think anybody in San Francisco in 1968 said, well, one, in one side effect of these programs is going to be that in, uh, in the 1990s, if you walk down on Market Street, uh, there are going to be people th throwing human poo at you. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, that was never part of a plan. Like, mid-market? Man, that's like the, the thriving, like, theater district, theater and sporting goods and electronic stores. And, like, you could see it's, it's like Back to the Future 2 going down mid-market right now where you're like, oh, I could really see what this would have been like at a different time. But, yeah. boy, it sure ain't that now. It ain't that now. But, but the, the problem, I think, on the left is that we don't know how to address the problems that we create without looking like our conservative critics. And we're so afraid to look, we're so afraid to do anything that, that might taint us with the brush of, of appearing to agree with our conservative critics for even a moment that we often can't address uh, the problems that we have created with our own you know, that, that are intrinsic to uh, applying new policies, you know, that are that are that are earth shattering in some ways. So we put something into place and it's like, oh, wow, OK, we need to recalibrate this because because people are uh, people aren't getting the help they need. But it looks like the solution is going to be too close to what our conservative critics uh, are saying is the problem. And right. we can't and that, go that, there. That, that's bad optics. And so we have to. We have to constantly be at war with that. And what ends up happening is that we, we, we don't find the solutions to, the, to our own problems. Um, and that, you know, that, that's what's happened in Seattle. Seattle has played whack-a-mole with the problems that our own legislation creates. But we can't solve those problems. We can't truly whack them because, uh, because that looks like and there are no conservatives in Seattle. It looks like what the what, what the liberals would propose, and you know we've just we've done a hash job here. Hmm. Um, but I want to live in the I want to live on the space station still. You know, Merlin, I want us to live in a world of ideas, and in a world that is not on the on the brink of civil war, um, but a world where. Uh, where, where the con continuity of ideas that began when when human beings first wrote things down is uh, where, where that continuity continues. That's that's the, right there in the word. Continuity. One nice thing also about living on a space station is that you do kind of have to find a way to get along. 
And if there's well, one yeah. person who can't get along, shoot him out the airlock like freaking John Hurt. You have to you have to drink your own pee. We mm-hmm. know that. Can you drink other and, people's pee? I mean, consens- to, consensually. No, no, no. You do. You have to drink. Everybody's pee goes into a vat. You take the oh, it's pee like stone out of soup. It. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, John Hurt goes out the airlock. Mm-hmm. Those are the two. Those are the two fundamental principles. Definitely of the space need to talk station. about the bonus situation. <laughs> <laughs>